that being said, please take your Bibles and open to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. If you've spent any time serving in children's ministry or you yourself were once a child growing up in children's ministry, you're familiar with the song, This Little Light of Mine. I'm not going to sing it for you, but it goes something like this, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And there are multiple verses that go along with it. Tonight's passage that we're going to consider in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25 is one that inspired the writing of that song. Nobody knows the exact author sometime in the 1920s or 1930s that little jingle for children um, began to be popular and through the Sunday school movement. Um, and it is one that uh, as I was reading this passage even this week and leading up to it, it was ringing through my ears with all the hand motions and everything else. Follow along with me here in Mark chapter 4, picking up in verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in and put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This ends the reading of the Word of God. It's been some time since we've been in the Gospel of Mark, maybe a month or two, probably two months. Uh, so let, us, let me just kind of bring you back up to speed to where we are in Mark's Gospel here. We are in the center of um, his parables. Mark strings together about four parables here, and we are right in the middle of the second parable. The last time we had considered Mark, we were looking at the parable of the sower, a sermon we titled The Word at Work, and it is the kingdom being built through the parables. It's, it's important to understand that the parable of the sower, the previous one, is the parable that unlocks all the parables. Jesus makes this clear in chapter 4, verse 13. As he said, says to them, In his explanation of the parable of the sower, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And so to think about the parables, think about the parable of the sower as the key that helps to unlock the understanding of all the parables. We will see that as we consider this one, the lamp under the basket. All four of these parables, from the sower to the lamp, to the seed growing, to the mustard seed, They are all related to the growth of the kingdom or the understanding of the kingdom of God. That is one of Mark's major thrusts through his book, to show that Jesus has ushered in the kingdom of God. We'll see that as we would consider even these few verses tonight. And so as we would consider this parable, the first heading I would supply to you is the revealing of Jesus Christ. This would be verses 21 through 23, the revealing of Jesus Christ. And the question we should ask here early on in this parable is what is it that Christ has revealed? What is it that Jesus 
has revealed. And the first statement I would give to you is that Jesus has come to reveal the truth. It's simple, but we must be reminded of these simple truths. Jesus has come to reveal the truth. Follow along with me, looking at verse 21. We notice here that Jesus opens up this parable by asking a question. A simple and straightforward question. Is a lamp brought in and put under a basket? Now, any sane-thinking person recognizes that the answer to this question is what? No. It's not a hard question here. So basically, Jesus is asking the question, where is the proper place to put a lamp? Well, we must understand here that these lamps that Jesus is speaking of in the first century, we lit, this is long before Benjamin Franklin, this is long before electricity, how they would light up rooms would be through these lamps. Now, it's not a big, tall standing lamp that you would put on your end table. These were little lamps that you would be able to hold, maybe six, eight inches, uh, clay lamps with a handle, with an open cylinder that you would fill with oil. You'd put a wick in there and you would light it. And these lamps... You would be able to move portably, or you'd be able to hang them. You would be able to hang them on a shelf that would be protruding um, out of the wall. That would then the lamp would then illuminate the room, or it would help to shine light on the surroundings. When we think about the purpose of a lamp, it is just that: the lamp existed to illuminate. If we turned off all the lights in here, we wouldn't be able to see anything. We are thankful for light. Lamps shine forth light. So it would not be appropriate to light this lamp and then take a basket and cover it. Just simple, but no, this lamp is to light up the room. So another question he would ask here, do we put it under a bed? And the answer to that question is no, no, we are not to put it under a bed, no, but no, we are to put it on a stand. The proper place for the lamp is to be on a stand. So the lamp would spread light to the whole room. Now remember, we're in parables. And so parables, Jesus is using word pictures to describe a, 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 a hidden truth. So in interpreting the parable, we must ask the question, what is the lamp? What is this lamp that Jesus speaks of? Well, I believe his point is clear that Jesus himself is the lamp. You think about that song once again, the second verse, hide it under a bushel, no, don't put it under the basket, I'm going to let it shine, hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. And Jesus is that lamp who has come to provide revelation, to provide illumination, there's a reason why I read to you Jeremiah and 1 Corinthians to start. And so what is it that Jesus has come to reveal? First, the truth. The revelation of truth concerning God's plan of redemption and the inauguration of the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus is saying here, even in verse 21, is that I have not come to be hidden. I have not come to be muffed away in the corner or stuffed under the bed but rather to take center stage as the lamp would. In fact, when we understand this, that Jesus does not just take center stage in the first century, Jesus takes center stage in every century. Jesus does not come only to reveal 
the truth. Jesus himself is the truth, as he would say in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. In Jesus revealing truth, what does he reveal? When we look at Jesus Christ, the story of the gospel, the life of Jesus Christ, the first thing that we can see is we recognize and understand the character of God through Christ. We understand the wrath of God when we look upon Christ on the cross. We understand the love of God when we look upon Christ at the cross. We understand the justice of God. We understand and we have a glimpse of the attributes of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He has revealed God to us in his character. He's also revealed man's condition. When you look at Jesus Christ on the cross, you can see how heinous sin is. Jesus, in his teaching, has revealed man's condition. And he has shown us the need for a Savior. Jesus has revealed his own caring heart for sinners. These are all truths we learn about God, man, and Christ through Jesus. Through this lamp that provides revelation. And so when we think about this, Jesus is revealing is revealed truth. He is the center of all of history. Jesus is the main point of every good sermon. He is the way that guides our path. He is the lens by which we see the world. He is the rule for interpreting life. He is the lamp that dispels darkness. He is the light that brings clarity. So we must understand first and foremost that Jesus has come to reveal truth. The second thing I would call your attention to is that Jesus has come to reveal the kingdom. Verse 22. Just as a lamp serves to light up a room, so Jesus' coming reveals what has previously been concealed. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. What Jesus is speaking about here is the inauguration of the kingdom of God. The visible kingdom of God that we can see and that we are in on earth. We would know this because look back at verse 11. He tells the disciples, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. So that this secret kingdom has been brought to light. And it has been ushered in by Jesus Christ. Remember his, remember his message in Matthew or Mark chapter 1, verse 14, he comes out preaching, repent and believe for what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as I had said earlier, Mark places great emphasis on the kingdom through Jesus' healing ministry, through Jesus casting out demons. What Mark is saying here is that Jesus' kingdom that he is bringing in, the kingdom of God, is dispelling the kingdom of this world. That there is a takeover going on here. And Jesus has all authority and power over all cosmic beings, over all spiritual beings, over all things even physical. He is demonstrating the invasion of the kingdom of God taking hold on earth through the ministry of Jesus. And I think sometimes we can use this terminology and we could talk about the kingdom. And if I went around and asked each and every one of you, what is the kingdom of God? I'm certain that we would get a wide variety of answers. And so let's define our terms. What do we mean by Jesus ushering in the kingdom of God? I think a simple way that we would define the kingdom of God is God's reign and redemptive rule in Christ working in the world through the church. 
Let me say it for you one more time. God's reign and redemptive rule in Christ working in the world through the church. We could get into all the implications of the kingdoms, the blessings of being in the kingdom. But as I was sitting down this week, it was, I don't know, maybe Tuesday night, and I was really wrestling with this text. I mean, it gave me, a, this, this text gave me a hard time this week. And I was going through this, and I'm sitting down with my Bible open. I had my notepad out, and I'm working through this verse, and to the left of me is my oldest daughter, and she's sitting there and starts asking some questions. And I said, you know what, I'm just kind of struggling with, with what does this mean? So do you want to talk about the Bible? So she runs off and she grabs her Bible and she comes down with her little notepad or electric notepad. She wanted to be just like me. I loved it. And so we were sitting there and we were talking about the kingdom of God. I said, Marley, what is the kingdom of God? And she says, well, it's heaven. I said, yeah. I said, are, are we living in the kingdom of God right now? She says, well, well, no, because Jesus is on the throne in heaven. I said, well, then who's in charge right now? She says, well, well, God is. I said, so in a sense, aren't we in God's kingdom now? And she's like, you know, it's like the kingdom's already here, but not yet. Yes. <laughs> and I thought, you've been reading Burkhoff? <laughs> you know, you, you, I thought you had Magic Treehouse up in your room. I'm just going up there and checking to see the systematic theologies that she's working through. I was like, this is theological talk. It's like, I got a little sheologian over here. I loved it. And so anyways, but it was a right understanding, and that is a theological way, that we are in the kingdom now, inaugurated by Jesus, but it has not yet been consummated, and at the second coming of Christ, the fullness of the kingdom will be understood. But right now, we live in God's redemptive rule, under God's redemptive rule. We are in the stage which I look at and call the kingdom-building stage of history. That the church is to grow and to expand, and the kingdom of God is expanding. So what does that mean for us? Well, we understand that the church is the local kingdom outpost of God's work in the world. And so when we think about the kingdom, Jesus has brought it in. It has been ushered in. We who are in Christ are subjects in that kingdom under the reign and rule of God. And we are to be on the mission for the kingdom. But it will be consummated when Christ returns. Jesus has come to reveal the kingdom. Third, Jesus has come to reveal the way. Jesus has come to reveal the way. Verse 23 he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. It's not anyone who has ears, let them hear. They all have ears, but it, there's a certain kind of ears or hearing that Jesus is getting at here. If you have ears to hear, what he means here is hearing with a believing heart. It is one thing to sit and hear the word. It is another thing to hear the word and to receive the word and to believe the word that you are hearing. Oh, so much, so much of the word falls on ears that aren't able to hear. Remember, the key to unlocking the parables is the parable of the sower. That word went to four set kinds of ears, and only one had ears to hear. And that's the one where the, the, the seed takes root in the fertile soil. And he says, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. And this is the way that Jesus reveals to us. 
So the way is to walk in truth, to live in the kingdom through a believing heart. You know, when we think about something like this, it's simple. It's simple, the ears to hear. It's as simple as A, B, C. What does he mean here? That we are to accept the truth of Jesus' words. We are to accept what he says. We have to accept the purpose of his coming. We are to accept that what God says about us is true in its entirety. That we are sinful in need of a savior. That our only way of being reconciled or brought near to God is through the Son. We are to accept the truth of God's word. But it's not much to just accept it as facts. We need to believe. A, to accept. B, to believe. We are to believe in him. We are to trust his words. It's not a belief of just acknowledgement. It is a belief relying that we are trusting in Jesus Christ. His words and his works To believe in Jesus is to stop believing in yourself. It is to renounce and turn from our sins to our Savior. I must go from this direction, believing in myself and my own righteousness or my own way to heaven, and I must accept that what God says about me is true if I have ears to hear, and I must put my faith and trust in him. I need to go in a different direction. Repentance, metanoia, it is a, it is a metamorphosis. This is a changing of the mind. It is a moving in a direction that you are otherwise not moving in. We are to be completely reoriented. So to believe in him is to trust in him, is to follow him. And see, confess him. Confess him as your Lord. I've been gripped in the past few weeks by Romans chapter 10 as well as Matthew chapter 10. The word is near you, Romans 10, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. We know that from this morning, right? For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Having ears to hear is ABC. You must accept the truth. You must believe and trust. You must confess him as Lord and Savior. Most of us have gone through these ABCs. It's as simple as this little light of mine, right? It brings us back to maybe younger years. But we all can use a reminder. We can all use a reminder that confessing him is not a one-time thing. So the question we would ask even here of these three verses, what are we to reveal as citizens of the kingdom, as the ransomed and redeemed of God? We are to be revealing Jesus Christ. We are to be sharing the good news. We are to walk in the way that he walked. Matthew chapter 10, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We are to reveal Jesus to the world. I'm reminded of Christ's words in Matthew after he finishes the Beatitudes 
He wants his disciples to know this important truth. In 5.14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Every good sermon quotes Spurgeon, so I need to do that. Spurgeon said, the Bible is not the light of the world. It is the light of the church. But the world does not read the Bible. The world reads Christians. You are the light of the world because you represent God's word and you are the ones who share God's work in and through the person of Jesus Christ. So we as the church are God's appointed means of revealing Christ to the world. And in revealing Christ, we reveal the truth of the gospel, God's character, man's condition, Christ's care. We reveal the kingdom of God, and we share the way of salvation to all who will hear. To those who have ears, let them hear. As the psalm goes, won't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. Won't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. This is our mission. We are not to have a, be a light that is not snuffed out. This little light of mine. You are the light of the world. All right, consider now these last two verses, 24 and 25. There's the revealing of Jesus Christ, how, what he has revealed, and then our revealing of Christ to the world, then responding to Christ. Responding to Christ. How are we to respond to Jesus? How are we to respond to Jesus? We would see here in verse 24, I would submit to you, we are to respond by listening carefully. Listen carefully. Notice what he says. Pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to what you hear. The parallel passage is in Luke chapter 8 and verse 18. Luke would say, as he's sharing this parable, he would say, take care how you hear. So we understand this kind of fuller picture. Pay attention to what you hear, but it also matters not what you hear, but how you hear these things. But we notice here is there is a seriousness when it comes to the word of God. I think we heard that this morning as well. You know, we don't, we don't practice this, but I, I love when we're able to compliment each other from Sunday morning to Sunday evening. But when we talk about the things of God or we're hearing the things of God, there is a seriousness in hearing the word of God. There is to be discernment. Do not listen to everyone who says the name Jesus. Do not just go on a crazy YouTube search because you will find crazy on YouTube. There must be discernment. There are people that use the name Jesus. Jesus says, beware. Many will rise up and say, I am the Christ. And there will be many false Christs. We must be able to discern truth from error. We must be trained. We must grow. But we must be careful and pay attention to what we hear and how we hear. Remember, I believe it's in 2 John, he, he, he says, don't even let false teachers come anywhere near your house. Don't welcome them. 
That means don't put them on your computer screen. That means don't have their, your, their books in your house, let alone them physically there. So there's a seriousness. We are to listen carefully. We are to listen to the preaching and teaching of the word. We are to saturate ourselves with the message. You know how the counterfeit people in the FBI can spot the counterfeit bill, right? They spend all their time analyzing what is true. They spend all their time immersing themselves in looking at the true, what is a true $100 bill and noticing all the marks and getting that down so that when the fake comes, it's easy to spot. Don't go listening to all the heretics to find out all their heresy. Listen to truth so that you will then discern what is, what is false. Saturate yourself with the message of the gospel. Have a discerning heart, but not a critical one. Sometimes I think there's a fine line and we might say this is discerning when it's really a critical spirit. And so let's be mindful that we can be discerning without being critical. We are to be Bereans. They heard Paul and they went and checked him and said, yeah, this is good. So let us be discerning without being critical. But well, I mean, there's a time to be critical. There is a time to be critical, but let's not make that our default. I think many today will sit in pews and they'll listen for error, not truth. They can make a list of what's wrong with the message. They fail to take inventory of their own hearts. This idea that we're the Berean police. We are to listen to the word of Christ preached carefully with hearts that want to be molded into the likeness of Jesus. That's our attitude. That's how we are to hear. We are to come into church, come into the gathering, prayed up. Lord, may, may your word preached impact me. That I might be changed, reveal any iniquity in me, encourage me, strengthen me, that I too might be strengthening one another. Let us come in with open hearts to receive the word. He also says here, by listen carefully, this implies that you are regularly hearing the word. That you are regularly hearing the word. And we know where God's primary means of making that happen is, right? It's the local church. To sit under the preaching of the word. And I can say that because I get to preach to the choir right now about that. You, you guys are all in round two today. Way to go. So we are to listen carefully. Second, we are to apply what we hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. This phrase here, this is another one that gave me just... A lot of time, a lot of work this week, but it's a phrase that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount and he, when he's talking about passing judgment. And, and, and in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 2, what he's basically saying concerning judgment is that you should expect to receive the standard of judgment you give. If you are critical, if you're a critical person prone to being judgmental, you should expect to receive a lot of that in your life. You know, it's kind of like people that find themselves at the center of drama are kind of dramatic people. And like, I, like for me, I do not like drama and it doesn't seem to come my way too often. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's just a kind of a picture for you. But what Jesus is speaking of here in this text is understanding. This, this standard, this understanding that you have. He's talking about understanding his word, his work, and what he requires of his people. And so to distill this statement here, simply put, verse 24, what's being stated here is you will get out what you put in. You will get out what you put in. 
Think of strength training. You've got your set of dumbbells. And you know that if you take those dumbbells and you use those dumbbells, something will happen. You can produce results. And I can know that those dumbbells will help to strengthen my muscles if I lift those dumbbells. And I have that basic understanding. If I want to get stronger, but all I do is sit on the couch and look at my dumbbells, nothing's going to happen. I've got to actually get up, grab them, and use them. And it's beneficial to use your dumbbells more than once a week. Practice, repetition, constant usage. And I think about this understanding. If I commit to doing dumbbell strength training once a week, it will yield little results. And so what we need to understand here is that we, we are to be diligent, disciplined, and determined in our taking in of the word of God. And we are to do something. It is not enough to be hearers only, but to be doers of the word, as James would tell us. Think about those dumbbells. You have to actually go grab them and use them. You actually have to take the word heard and apply it and exercise the doing of the word of God in your life. It's the heard word, listen carefully, then it is the word applied. Your level of understanding as a Christian is directly related to the effort that you put into it. All right, let me clarify. And some people can get confused on what is effort and what is earning. We stand on the tradition of the reformers. We understand salvation is through grace alone, by faith alone. We understand these truths. But let us not mistake earning with effort. Your personal holiness right now, you are as holy as you desire to be in this moment. Your level of understanding of the truth of God's word, your depth of theology is where you want it to be. Are you putting in effort as a Christian? We reject hyper-Calvinism, which is this idea that nobody needs to evangelize because God is sovereign over all things and God will draw his elect, and all that is true, but God uses means. God's means for the, for the salvation of sinners is through his people to share the gospel. So we believe in the sovereignty of God and salvation, and we recognize that Jesus said, go. And so we share the gospel because we are the means that God uses to that end. So we reject this don't need to evangelize attitude. But sometimes I think we can fall into the trap of what I would call hyper-sanctificationism. I don't know a better word for it, but that we can sit back in our sanctification and expect to grow in grace and knowledge and godliness without putting in any effort. As though it is all by grace by that which we grow. Yes, God opposes earning. God does not oppose effort. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. We are to make every effort to make our calling and election sure. We are to grow in, our, in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to study to show ourselves approved. We are to do our best to present ourselves to God as one approved. Paul tells Timothy to work, to labor, to grow. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So we are to apply what we 
here. And we do know Romans 8, 13, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. It is still the Spirit at work in us, growing us. But the Spirit of God has been given to us and we have been enabled and made willing and desire to grow in godliness. But you must put in effort. So here's some just life principles to apply as we think about taking in the word and being doers of the word. Give yourself over to the study of the word of God. Give yourself over to the study and do it in community. Oh, many heresies have come out of private devotions. Be careful. Not say, I'm not, do, have your private devotions. But study the word of God with people. Do it in community. Give yourself to the regular intake of the word of God through the preaching and teaching that God has appointed. Immerse yourself in the local church. Connecting for a couple hours on a Sunday is like going to the gym once a week and expecting to be a jacked bodybuilder. Surround yourself with people who promote godliness in you. Spend more time talking about Jesus than sports or whatever it might be. Be a gospeling people. And finally here, as we are responding to Jesus, third I would say, use it or lose it. Use it or lose it. Verse 25, for the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Again, Jesus is talking about understanding here. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, the wise man in his wisdom. But let the one who boasts, boast in this, that he knows me and understands me. And what Jesus says here is, for the one who has understanding more will be given. Notice here, there's two directions that Jesus gives. There is increase and there is decrease. There is no middle ground. There is no middle ground here. We are either progressing in our understanding, growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, or we are digressing. We are moving in the direction of growth in Christ's likeness in our lives, albeit slow at times, maybe so slow that you don't see it at times, but maybe others will. But we are growing, we are moving forward, or we are becoming more ignorant and sinful in our lives. There is no status quo. Jesus doesn't give us that. Standing still is not an option. You know what they call stagnant water? A swamp. And it's gross. And lots of nasty stuff lives there and festers there. And it stinks. Do you ever go buy swampy, stagnant water in the summer? That's what someone who's not growing looks like. What direction describes your life? Are you using the understanding that you have been given, and as a result, growing in Christ? Are you still in the dark? Jesus ends this parable with a warning. To those who have no interest in Christ, no understanding, no desire for the kingdom, they will move progressively further and further away. There are many that have no interest in Christ. There are many that have no interest in Christ or true understanding, but they love the church. The church in the physical sense. They've made many friends. They might love to read theology. 
but they still need a spiritual heart transplant. You can love community, you can love friends and relationships, and you can be distant from Christ. You can love all the heads of systematic theology, talking all lofty talk, and be far away from Jesus and lack understanding. Luke, again, would shed just a little more light on this. And what he says here at the end in chapter 8, verse 18, as he phrases this statement, he says what he thinks he has. As Mark says, even what he has will be taken away. Luke states that what he thinks he has will be taken away. Remember, the parable of the sower is the key to understanding the parables. And what happens here is the one who has no understanding, even what they do have will be taken away. This is the seed that fell on rocky soil that springs up for a time and takes, accepts, accepts the word with great joy. With all appearances, it looks like it might be a genuine fruit-bearing tree, but has no root in themselves and withers and dies. So, my plea is that that would not describe any of us. That we would be the seeds that fell on the good soil. That we hear the word, we understand the word, we apply the word, and we grow in Christ's likeness. Instead, may we be as the last verse of the song goes. We're going to let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. So as we're responding to Christ, we are the light of the world. In the title of that song, we are to shine our little lights for the world to see by revealing Christ, by responding positively to Christ. But remember, we are the little lights. We are showing people the way to Jesus, who is this big light of mine and of yours. He who gave himself for us so that we can say, Christ is mine forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would continue to grow us. Lord, that we would not become stagnant. Lord, that we would not become complacent. Lord, that we would not become lethargic, but that you would give us a zeal to know you, to grow in you, to apply your word, to study your word, to devour your word, that we would hide your word in our heart that we might not sin against you, that your word would be the lamp to our feet and the light to our path. Ultimately, that we would be revealing Christ as we have come to know him through your word, that we would respond to him as he calls us to do. We would live this kingdom life for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.